Mr. McGrath. Mr. Gaunt, back for another episode of Curb and Canyon with a C. Curb and Canyon with a C. I'm excited for this one today. Big, big guest. I know you are. I, it's, would you, is, this, is this our biggest guest? Uh, well, don't, don't tell Drew, but yeah, probably. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if Drew listens, he could be offended. I, I know that Drew is a big fan of Chris's, so... Let's just say yes, because Chris is new. <laughs> we don't want to offend him. <laughs> well, yeah, very excited to get into today's episode. So uh, let's let's not waste time, huh? No, let's not do that. But I I, I have to say before we get in, um, I I am slightly embarrassed because uh, in the rush to get this podcast scheduled, I um, was like telling Chris how to record a podcast. Uh, and how we typically ask our guests to record a podcast, <laughs> and then as I, I was doing, I was doing the same thing. <laughs> and, then I'm, and then after sending that email, I'm like, oh, oh, wait, okay, no, that that, yeah. no. <laughs> I th- he's recorded something like three hundred and something. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. We're we're yep. what twelve. Yeah, and he, he's got he's got a professional studio set up. I'm I'm uh, sat on the floor. I'm sat on the floor in my pajama pants and UGG boots on a I, Saturday morning. <laughs> let's, let's just hope he doesn't bring it up. <laughs> Indeed. Welcome to Kerbin Canyon. So James, today we have a very special guest, and I'm going to say straight up that I'm a, like a genuine fan of this dude. I came across him, I think the first time was when I saw a video from Stanceworks titled Rewards of Patience and Camaraderie, which chronicled the story of his hot-rodded uh, 72 T. and I was lucky enough to stumble across Overcrest, um, his excellent podcast that he records with, uh, with Jake Solberg every week, just as I got going and immediately became a weekly listener, and What's kept me going back to their pod, apart from the great dynamic between those two guys, is, and following Chris as well, is this never-ending search for adventure via the automobile, and most notably is 9-11, and you and I, James, have both been through the process of planning rallies and the excitement and the pressure that comes with linking roads you've never driven, but... Our guest today goes down the rabbit hole in a way that you and I just can't even can't even consider. He's inspiring. He's outspoken. He buys way too many cars, um, and I think he's bloody ace. It's Mister Chris Clue. I think you've been talking to my my bride there with the too many cars. I think it's just the right amount. <laughs> it's just the right amount, which is all the time. Every car I'm on marketplace all the time. It's just the right amount. Do, do you keep track? I can live with that. How, how many are we up to? I. Uh, uh, it's got to be it, every time I try to make a list, I go back and go, oh, man, I forgot that on the list. It's been a lot of cars, a lot, <laughs> like tons of Mark one Volkswagens, everything from Yugos, E30 Tourings, AMG stuff, Mercedes, mostly European, I guess. I haven't done too much with the with the domestic world or in, or in, uh, the import world from you know Japan and Korea and stuff like that. But it's I, I kind of don't know, probably. I don't know, somewhere between 50 and 75 cars, maybe 100. I, I know that's a terrible guess, and the breadth of that guess is, is ridiculous, but I, I honestly have no idea. 
And wait, that's that's in your lifetime. I mean, how how many do you hold on to at any one particular point in time? Uh, that varies. I kind of have a rule um, that I've never really kind of reached the limit of what I think a person should own. But if you have five cars, so you have one daily, and then you have probably three or four projects or fun cars. I think that's the most amount of cars any would sh- anyone should own. But uh, I mean, currently I have. Do you, do we count things that are like in the yard? Sure. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I've got this sure. vision of this field in northern Minnesota with a small shack <laughs> on the side of it and just hundreds of old German cars rusting away. Well, I've, I've only got one. There's only one in the field right now. I've, I've, I've started being the car in the field guy as of this last month. So I have a old Mercedes there. I have another old. Uh, I have a Mercedes 250 that I just swapped an engine into. That's going to be the Overcrest Rally kind of mascot, if uh-huh. you would. Then I have a W123 300 Touring. I guess that is a Touring. I don't know what you call the Mercedes. It's a Touring TD, 300 TD. Okay. I bought that in uh, Idaho to, to scout the rally, the Overcrest Rally. I bought it sight unseen. And then I have my 72 911, which is um, moored in California right now with a probably a thrown crank bearing. I think it threw the crank bearing. Yeah, we're going to get into that. And then I have, yeah, yeah. And then I have the, uh, I have a 91 Isuzu Trooper. That's what I drove here today to the oh, studio. No and yep, so I've got I've got that. It's super mint. The air conditioning works. Every time I pull up to one of my buddies' places, they're like, and the, it works on the wagon too. They always go, Oh, dude, you're leaking. And I'm like, Yeah, water, because my air conditioning works. <laughs> yeah. And no, no one ever expects the air conditioning to work on some old shitbox thing. But that's the trooper. And I've got a I've got a TDI from uh like a 2001 Jetta. Or something that I've put a big turbo on, and my buddy Alex Nelson, who's just a brilliant engineer, um, built a adapter plate. We three D scanned everything in the motor, the transmissions, everything, and built an adapter plate to put the TDI motor in the trooper with the big troop with the big turbo on it. But that's that project is kind of sidelined because of the Porsche and the and the and the Mercedes stuff. So I have, I guess, four cars, and then my and I, when one of them runs, I drive one, and my wife has a. I bought her a Golf R, so she's got a 2019 Golf R that she drives. Okay, so a reliable family truckster. Yes, yeah, that's the and and I think she's upset about it because uh, she had an all track before that Volkswagen all track, and she loved it. And I said, "This thing sucks. It's no fun. Let's <laughs> trade it in while the used car prices are inflated to all hell." And we traded it in, and I got a, got her a brand new Golf R. And I think it's too small. I don't think she likes it, but it's super fast, and I think she's fine with that. And you know, it's, it's a cool car, and you can be the yeah. you can be the babe in the kind of a cool car. So I think she kind of likes that, but I still don't think she's too pleased. That that sounds like the sales pitch you gave her. You can be the babe in the cool car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you look hot in this thing. This is great. I usually go with things like. Dal, it would be irresponsible to drive anything other than this car. I mean, the safety features. Let's get into those. This is about protecting the family. It does have front assist with the brakes. I go. should bring that there up more go. often. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is beeping at me all the time. Apply brakes, apply brakes. Oh. Just because someone won't get out of my way. Yeah, that's, the thing's just that's like a terrible out feature, actually. I don't, I don't like that feature. I, I turn that off on my cars. I want to go back to the point you just said, that you have three or four or even potentially five project cars at any one point in time. Is is there a strategy behind that? Or is that just, you know, kind of screaming ADHD? Uh I've got I've got one project car and I, I can't wait for it to be really finished and then I'll move on to another one. You never finish is James. ADHT a strategy? 
Could that actually be a strategy? <laughs> Maybe. I have no idea. I just, I don't, I think the Mercedes and the, the truck are kind of projects, but the, the truck runs. So it's a running, driving truck. Nothing's wrong with it. It's all good to go. So it's kind of, you know, on the back burner, you know, I can drive it and use it. And I'm building the motor on the side when parts come in. So you wait for parts and when they come in, you do what you can. And while you're waiting for, while you're doing things, you order parts for the other thing. And you can kind of, for me as one guy, I can kind of handle two things at the same time, at okay. the same time, I think. I wouldn't consider the 911 a project car because it's kind of an accident. You know, that's, I'm not, I didn't, you know, blow up the motor on purpose. Yeah. It just kind of happened, you know? Yeah. And the, and the wagon, the only thing that's wrong with that is you have to bang on the starter with a hammer to get it to start. Otherwise, <laughs> that thing's good. So that's not really a project car either. That's going to be my winter car. I'm going to drive that over the winter. Oh, good luck in the uh, sub-zero temperatures. So I'll just, I'll just work around your question by redefining everything as not a project. <laughs> that's, that's what we'll do. It's going to be great taking the wife out for dinner in that car. And when you get back from a nice meal... You know, a couple of glasses of red having to hang on, honey. I'm just going to pull out the hammer to start the car. <laughs> I told her she had to drive, and I, I said, Hey, you should take the wagon. It's great. The hammer for the starter is in the engine compartment if it doesn't start. And she just looked at me like I was insane. But she would do it. She's like, You know, I've sent her to the junkyard for me before. She's pulled wiring harnesses out of cars at the junkyard for me. She helps me clean the garage. She'll push cars in and out. She'll wrench on things, hold the wrench, you know, just like my daughters are learning how to do. But, I mean, everybody's kind of in the garage. She doesn't do it as much as she used to now that she's a mom (laughs) and has her own business and stuff like that. But uh, she used to be all in the garage with me. So she's not. I kind of like to pick her on her a little bit, but she is she's definitely a hero of mine in terms of championing championing the projects and overcrest and the ideas yeah. that I have. And she's and she's amazing in, in that way. That's she's great. never one to say no with a car. You yeah. know, she would get in the wagon and bang on it with a hammer to get it to start. She would do that. Mm. You know, she'd rather drive her golf R, which is brand new, but she would do the other thing if she had to. It wouldn't bother no. her that much i don't think my, my wife wouldn't do that i think um if somebody could just like come over and fill it with gas for her she'd be happy but she she doesn't want to wrench on the cars she just wants a reliable car in fact one of the first things she told me was um you know if we end up together you've just got to promise me that i have a new car i don't care what it is as long as it's new <laughs> she grew up with her dad wrenching on cars and in her last two years of high school she had a um, an old green uh, Jetta, a VW, I guess. And every time she turned left, the horn went off continuously. <laughs> so you can imagine her pulling up to school, and every time she did a left turn, it was, honk, there's Ruthie. Here I am, I'm here. <laughs> I think people look at cars, you know, the people that want a new car, they look at things, this is going to sound weird, but they look at it as a car being broken is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Right. That sounds weird. Right. You look at like a car being broken is a bad thing mm-hmm. and it can be if it keeps you from getting where you need to go. But it can also be the start of um, bettering your knowledge about something, whether you're learning how to fix it or spending time with your buddies and fixing it. It can be a catalyst for many, many good things. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's not like your refrigerator is broken. Right. You're not going to call up your buddy and be like, hey, man, the compressor's out on the refrigerator. You want to come have a couple beers? We'll get it figured out. <laughs> this doesn't have the same ring as, hey, man, I'm sick of banging on the starter on the Mercedes. Let's come get wasted while we fix the starter on the Mercedes. It just does. It's like it has two different feels to it. And cars are kind of like this great catalyst 
for a lot of different things. And I don't know if that's just because of the tool that it is mm. and what it allows you to do, which is explore and, and and learn and stuff like that. Nobody sees the knowledge of knowing how to fix a refrigerator as useful, but being able to fix a car, on the other hand, is usually seen as pretty good knowledge to have. So I'm not sure exactly what it is, but a car being broken isn't always a bad thing, I don't think. Does that and people see that it is and I they shouldn't. Does that that you you've you've obviously spent a lot of time in the garage wrenching on cars. Is that why you've got the confidence to, as you say, go to Idaho, buy an old car, sight unseen, and decide to drive it back through blizzards and God knows what else because you've got enough confidence that, yeah, if something goes wrong, I'll be able to figure it out along the way and not be thinking, holy shit, I'm going to be stranded on the side of the road in sub-zero temperatures being attacked by bears. So this is America, right? You know, this is even if you're I mean, there's a lot of places you could be in Australia where you could be totally fucked, like just you're dead. Right. If you're out in the driving across (laughs) Australia. But this is this is America. Anywhere you are in this country, if you break down, you are not going to die. You're not. You could you could walk somewhere. You could walk down the road. You could. I mean, have you seen the the Western United States? What? I've driven (laughs) ad nauseum in the Western United States. There are people everywhere here. There's people everywhere. If you have a, I always keep a gallon of water in my car. That's one thing. If you don't know how to work on cars, you don't know what you're doing, but you're going on a trip, bring some water because that's all you need to survive. That's it. And you can go anywhere you want in this country. I, we were stuck. I got stuck in the snow in Idaho on a forest road as far from anything as you could possibly be, and we're stuck in the snow. We're stuck. And we're thinking, what are we going to do? But we had a bike on a bike rack that was kind of our fallback as if something happened. We would be able to pull the bike off the bike rack and then bike to civilization. And anywhere you are, you could do that. You know, it's not that scary. It's not the end of the world. And generally, if you have some basic tools, if you want to take the next step up, you could make it work. You could you could fix something simple. And even if you can't fix it, you can just call AAA and a tow truck will show, to, show up and tow it to a shop. What's the worst that's going to happen? It's not, this isn't, you know, some, nobody is going to die on the side of the road in the United States. It's a very easy place to start exploring with your car. You see, it just is. It's all relative, Chris, because, you know, I appreciate that Australia is vast and enormous, but coming from England, where you can barely turn around without bumping into somebody, that coming into America, oh my God, there have been times I've driven like around the West. I'm like, if I, if I do stop here, I might as well just dig my own hole. I'm not, I'm not going to get found. No, no, there's somebody would have driven by. I mean, it's going to take you at least if you have some water, it's going to be weeks, weeks before you're dead. Let, let me tell weeks. you this though. Having heard what you've just said, it kind of makes me, Andy, rethink our, our plan about doing a road trip from uh from from melbourne over to perth australia because uh if chris is worried about the open spaces in australia and he's not worried about the open spaces here in the states I well think no I because be. chris you may not remember this but i bumped into you at luft and you suggested to me there shipping your air-cooled 911 across to australia and and driving the breadth to. of this great country in your air-cooled 911 i would do it i want to do it i i really do i've I interviewed Elspeth Beard, yeah. who, you know, she drove her motorcycle around the world and she went across Australia as a, like a 20 year old girl or woman 
and all she had with her was whatever was in her saddlebags of her motorcycle. Wow. And even there, her entire wiring harness of her, her motorbike burnt to the ground in the middle of Australia, and she was able to figure it out. Wow. So, I mean, I'm even being a little bit, you know, facetious when I say that you're prob- you could die. If you're on a road, if you're on a road that goes from X to Y and you have some water, the odds are that you are not the only person that wants to go to <laughs> X or Y. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to get murdered or, you know, you're going to get picked up by a serial killer and chopped into little pieces. That's a whole nother story. Because this is you know, America. That's that are pretty. <laughs> that's America. Yeah, that's. It sounds like a Netflix exactly. special. I can say it now. <laughs> Did you, because you've, you've become sort of the unofficial official ambassador of take the car, right? Of adventuring in cars. Is this. What a curse. <laughs> well, right, but it is. It's 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 become your thing. Was was did yeah, you set sure. out? Which did you means set out I can't to do ship that? my car anywhere. <laughs> Even if I want to, I can't ship the car somewhere. No, you have to I drive have to it drive to Australia. The damn thing now. <laughs> yeah. So I, if I like, I need to save time. From time to time, I hey, I got a life. I got kids. I got a family. I would like to ship my car somewhere, and, and but I can't. I gotta drive the thing. I've like really hamstrung myself. <laughs> But was that that's I don't assume that was a a deliberate strategic move. I imagine that from your perspective, this is just the way you like to do it, the way you've always done it, and that's sort of organically become part of the the Chris the Overcrest brand, I suppose. Yeah, it's the take the car thing came from. I wrote an article about taking the car for Triple Zero Magazine, yep. and it was a fifty piece fifty page. 13,000 or 15,000 word opus on my journey in my 911 across the United States and back. And the name of the article was take the car. Okay. And it was something that I kind of was like, Hey, that really fits, you know, and I didn't really change what I did, but I kind of applied that name to, or that hashtag or whatever you want to call it, that feeling to what we were already doing here at, at Overcrest. And then um, my buddy, Jeff Bull, who is, the other per the other part of Overcrest, there's me, Jake, and Jeff. And Jeff is helps out with the rally and the branding and the strategy and stuff like that. And he started to kind of um, go, "Hey, you know what you're doing is is interesting, and what you're doing is unique." And I never really thought of it that way. You know, I was just like, "This is I just want to do this. I want to. I'm really happy when I do this. I can defrag my mind. I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy." Um, exploring and and seeing new things for a myriad of different reasons of what they do for me mentally and and emotionally. He's like, yeah, but we could maybe share this with people. So that's kind of how things have, you know, begun snowballing a little bit in terms of of what Overcrest is doing. But me, I just this, for me going out and scouting the rally, I flew out, bought that Mercedes, drove two thousand miles around Idaho and forest roads, and beat the hell out of the car, and then drove another thousand miles home, and that was just like, okay, that was awesome. It wasn't. It didn't feel it feels special to me because I enjoy doing it, but it didn't feel like I was doing something out of my comfort zone. It's just mm. that's it's just what I like to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you talked about you mentioned Jake there. I want to talk about the dynamic between you two because there's yeah. there's always a dynamic right between uh, between radio hosts or podcast hosts, and there's typically that hey we take the piss out of each other we're mates that's that's mm-hmm. how it works. You you and uh, you and Jake seem to have this. It's awesome easy when dynamic. you look and look down on somebody all the time. It's <laughs> very easy to. You know. Well, you strike this really good balance, I think, between being on the same page together, 
but also having very different views about things, which which makes sometimes for pretty fiery conversation. It, it's it's just yeah. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I think we got. I got lucky. You know, it's well. That makes uh, one of us. And I think Jake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Jake and I got lucky with the dynamic. You know, when I started Overcrest, I did one episode. I did two episodes with two different buddies, and the plan was I'm going to have a different person host this with me every time because I didn't really understand what podcasting was like. Just like everyone else that starts a podcast, hey, this is great, this is so fun, and then they get to episode like twelve and they go, "Holy shit, what am I going to talk about?" <laughs> You know, what am I going to do? What, what What's the plan? I, I have no idea what's going on. Starting a podcast is very easy. You can buy the stuff. You can start doing it. Doing it for 350 plus episodes like we have has been really, really hard. Um, but so I realized that after episode two, I go, wait a second. What I just did, how am I going to do that long term? How am I going to have a different person on every time? Yeah. Now you can do interviews and stuff like that, but that's not really the format I wanted to do. I wanted to do like a a banter. I wanted to have news and stuff like that. So then I I thought of this dude, Jake, who I did not know very well. Right. I was barely an acquaintance with Jake when I met Jake. The The way that I met Jake was there was a, a car club that I ran called Euroworks back in the day. And it was, you know, it was a car show. It was a car club born out of spite for this other car club. And I decided I wanted to just like dominate that car club and make them go away. We did. And uh, it, we had this, this show called, you know, your works car show or whatever. And I'm scared of heights. I don't like them. I don't I don't like climbing up ladders. Just not my thing. I mean, I'm not like shaking in my booties or anything, but I don't like it. And we had to hang signs on these light poles. And I just remember being like, hey, can anyone help me with this? And Jake's like, I'll do it. You know, he was a volunteer or whatever. And. And uh, so he climbs up on this ladder in, in his Birkenstocks and stands and does and screws these things to the sign. And and I remember him just being like really outgoing and fun and easy to talk to. And I enjoyed his company. And he had a kind of like this cool voice, too. I'm like, man, he's yeah. got kind of like a voice made for radio. He sounds like Troy McClure from The Simpsons, if, you, <laughs> if you've ever yeah, watched yeah. The Simpsons. <laughs> and like I had him on and, and it was fun. And I'm like, wow, this is really fun. And. His style is completely different than mine in terms of similar in the way that we both like to wear pants, but the pants that he would choose to wear are completely different than the pants that I would choose to wear. So we both kind of like this same similar type of things. Like We both like old uh, old 911s. We, well, he didn't have one at the time, but we both like old cars, old European cars. We like working on things. We like wrenching, but he's a, a, a lot different in his taste than I am. Like he will do. You'll do things that I completely disagree with, like cover his car with like Renline stuff with holes in it. And and he'll buy like he'll take his his Cayenne and roll it through the parts store and put lights on it and wheels and roof racks and and stuff that I know that he's never, ever, 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 ever going to use. But we we still kind of bond over the the commonality (laughs) of it. So it's it's been kind of this interesting journey as we've kind of mold each other's taste, probably in ways that we don't even really know. You know, we've probably impacted each other in, in ways that we're unsure of. And it was it was really hard after probably 50 to 75 episodes. We, um, we were both kind of going like, what are we doing? Are we going to keep doing this? And I had to, I was telling Jake, I'm like, Jake, this is going to be awesome. Let's keep doing this. And I think it took probably maybe 150 to 175 episodes before we were like, yeah, yeah, we love this. You know, we come down here, we record. and 
you know, I can honestly tell you every time I leave this place and we have a great interview or we do a great recording, I love it. it makes me really happy. I'm I'm happy with what we put out there. And Jake does these amazing history stories yeah, that he amazing. does and digs things up and and we do the interviews and I wish we did more of the news. We used to do a lot more news. Mm-hmm. I miss doing that. But yeah, that's kind of how I met Jake and and you know how that relationship kind of started. Amazing. Amazing. Um uh, so <laughs> Chris, you talked about the myriad cars that you've owned and currently do own before, <laughs> you know, everything from Mercs to the Yugo, as you say. But uh, we are we're somewhat Porsche centric on this show, obviously. Tell us about where Porsche sits for you and, and, and seemingly your 911 holds a different position in your heart compared with these other cars that yeah. you're able to move on so quickly. Yeah, it's it's something that's been around for almost 10 years now. And as much as the other cars come and they go and they come and they go, the, the 911 has really been the, the ultimate tool of exploration for me. Um, it does everything right. I enjoy working on it. and you know, I've done so many things with it that it's become kind of this nostalgic thing for me. When I look back, I can see the things that I've accomplished with it. And I think the, uh, you know, some of the Porsche stuff is the natural evolution for Volkswagen guys. Yep. You know, you start yeah. working and working your way up and you, you know, work your way into it. Like either you start getting into air cooled Beetles or you start getting yourself into air cooled 911s or yeah. maybe 944s or something like that. It's all in the same family. But the, the, the 911, I think is, really really good for what I, I don't consider myself a porsche guy i consider myself uh an adventure exploration with the car kind of guy and the my 911 is the best tool for that okay and it's so the the you know everybody's like oh you're a porsche guy right and i'm like well no i mean yes because i have one and i've you know done all the work myself and i love it and i love the community and i think it's great but if there was a different car that i had found that was better for it I would be that kind of guy. It just happened to work out this way that it it ended up being this 911. So, but surely a uh, uh, a 2019 Subaru Forester is a better tool than a 72 911 for this. I would disagree, um, only because of the the ability to great to a Subaru Forester would be a great car for for exploring it for sure, especially if you had a family and. And, uh, you know, didn't want to break a nail or something if it broke down. <laughs> but the the 911 in its simplicity, the only reason my 911 broke is because an oil line fell off. Yeah. It's yeah. stupid. It's 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 a horrible thing. If not, that thing would still be driving. They are they're dead reliable. They have very little systems to break They're They're oil cooled or air cooled. Rather, everything's oil cooled. But it's so it's an air cooled car. You know, there's no coolant. I don't have a turbo system. I've got carburetors. It's very, very easy to diagnose and fix, and you have very little systems to fail. And rear engine can get you out of you know some sticky situations where you might have gotten stuck, anything like that. They're great on gravel, which I really enjoy driving on. And just the you know manual brakes, manual steering, no power anything, lightweight, plenty of storage to put your stuff in it. So I would say that it's actually a better car just because of the simplicity and the odds of it breaking down are far less than a new Subaru. You know, I can, I can fix most of that car unless something fails, like an oil line falls off. You can fix most of the stuff uh, on the fly, whether it's, you know, you can fix a wire or replace an axle or whatever on the, on the road. You could do most of it, which is one of the reasons why they were so ridiculously successful yeah. in endurance yeah. racing is because they really are 
a very well-built uh, engine that just doesn't break down. What what's an adventure to you then? If you're if you're the adventure guy, you know, is it is it is it landscape? Is it just going places you've never been before? Is it trying to hit every Burger King in every state before you die? You know, <laughs> what's your definition of that kind of adventure? Um, to me, an adventure is experiencing something new. You know, everybody kind of looks at like they like, oh, you drive a nine eleven. I bet you go find all the curvy roads. And it doesn't necessarily have to be. I mean, that obviously you want like the if you think of an iconic adventure, you know, there's all these different things that you could plug in, you know, to make it to make it the best that it could be. But for me, as long as I'm experiencing something new, mm-hmm. that's an adventure to me. I try to put myself in situations that are are going to create interesting experiences for me that will stimulate me and cause me to uh, experience something different, whether that's meeting people or. Like I saw a guy on the side of the road in West Virginia sitting in front of his his garage and he was just sitting there and he had more beer cans crushed on the ground than I'd ever seen in my life. Mm. I stopped the car, turn around, pull over. Who is this guy? Never got his name, but I talked to him for like two hours. And that is just as much adventure as driving up some switchback road somewhere. You know, so it's it's all about experiencing new things, getting off the freeway, and nothing allows you to see more in a condensed period of time than a car mm-hmm. nothing i mean you 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 can go for a walk but you can walk a few miles in a car you can see a massive amount of stuff independently you can go where you want when you want how you want as long as you're on a road and they're everywhere so it's it's pretty easy you can do all these different things in a car and nothing is better for it yeah. than that so you can experience all these different things and have whatever adventure whatever level of adventure you want to have and the car is just the best thing for it mm-hmm. Do you think going back to that uh, Forrester versus 9-11 uh, proposition that part of the reason the 9-11 is such a great tool for that is that it doesn't feel as though it's simply an appliance that separates you from that experience, but it's actually a part of the experience. The sound, all of those other things actually add to the experience. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. You know, obviously... You think of like my car's fast. It's it's got a lot of horsepower, but then you know I know this guy Harry Hoffman who has a nine twelve, and I've probably got two hundred more horsepower than he has, and he's still having a great time adventuring around in that. And it doesn't sound anywhere near as good as my nine eleven does. It sounds like a nine twelve, which sounds cool, but I think there's got to be some glimmer in the car for it to be something that you enjoy exploring in. There's got to be some glimmer in it. And whatever that is for you, the guy in the 2019 Forester, he might have a glimmer in that car yeah, for him. Yeah, true. There might be something about that car. You know, there. I see people, I talk to them all the time where they're, I really love my tw- 2004 Honda Civic. I love that car. I was really sad when I got rid of that car. What was it about that car that made that person sad when they got rid of it? They don't sound good. They are not fast. <laughs> they look, there's a million of them. They look like every single other one. It's basically the wonder bread of cars. It just, there's really nothing to it. So what is it about that car? What was the, what was the glimmer or the, or the gravitas that that car had that made that person feel that way? So as long as the car has that for you, then it's just as good as my 911 is for me. It's just you have to. 
I'm not saying that every guy should get as much gumption out of his Honda Civic that stock driving around going and get groceries and stuff like that. No, but I'm just saying that the potential is there in in almost any car to become emotionally attached to the car in the adventures and the exploration that you have. That's good philosophy. That said, my 911 rules. It sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> it's super fast. It looks great. I did all the work myself. I'm super proud of that. And all of that stuff adds up to a really emotional experience and it gives me great contrast to the other cars that yeah. I may daily drive. Like the golf R that I have is a great car, but I have zero emotional attachment to that car whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. And that might be because of the breadth of experience and contrast I have and in the experiences I've had in other cars is why I don't care about that car. Yeah. Understood. So it's, it's all about your experience and the contrast that you've created for yourself. I get it. I get it. Um, let's shift gears a little bit photography is something you talk about a lot. You're an insanely good photographer. Can you tell us a little bit about, I suppose, your history in that space and what it is you still love about that creative process? Um, I don't necessarily like photography as much as I used to. Uh, I kind of started out doing photography. My grandpa had a, a little generic, not even a Canon camera i don't even not a minolta not a canon no nikon nothing it was just this little aluminum camera camera that looked like a like it was expensive but it certainly was not <laughs> and i would take pictures when we would go on vacation and i just remember seeing them later and just i don't know what it was about seeing them later but i saw the moment the thing that happened before i was seeing it again mm. and there was something about that experience that made it special for me and as it became um, as it became work, it became a little bit less special, as lots of things do when you do things for work, right? All of a sudden, you know, you kind of wring the passion out of out of it a little bit. But one thing I really do enjoy doing now is shooting film. Yeah, uh, yeah. I really enjoy the 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 chemical process of film. I I like that the the physical photons of light that are existing in the world are being frozen in a physical form on the film in a chemical reaction. So it is, it is actually what I'm like, as I'm seeing this zoom meeting right now, if I took a picture of this, it is this exact, exact moment physically, not just like ones and zeros, but on film, it is physically captured on a medium. It's right there. It's physically there. That is the moment. It's not a, it's not a facsimile of it. It's not a copy of it. It it's is it. it in a chemical reaction form. And I think that's really, really unique. It's really special. And, you know, doing that with film just feels a lot better than doing it digitally. And don't get me wrong. I, I, I guess I shouldn't say that I don't like photography anymore. I do love photography, but I've really got to be doing something. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I really got to be I really got to care about what I'm doing. You know, back in the day, I would shoot cars for magazines and stuff like this or shoot cars for like RM Sotheby's and they'll be like, Hey, go take pictures of this Studebaker. And I'd be like, man, how do I give a shit about this? You know, it's just, it's not, and writing is the same way. I don't really, um, if I don't, I've, and I've struggled with this. I remember, uh, um, an editor of a magazine called, called me up and says, Hey, do you want to write this article about this car and shoot the articles for this car? And I went out and I drove all the way out to road America. I took pictures of this car. It's a really significant race car. It was, a really, really significant car. It's worth zillions of dollars. And I got home and I look at the pictures and they're great. And then I interviewed a guy and I interviewed another guy and it just ended up being kind of like these, these rich dudes that own this car. Yeah. And I could not write the article for it. I couldn't do it. 
could do it. I could not. I just I could not extract meaning to write the article out of what I had. I could write an article about the experience of driving out there and driving that car <laughs> and seeing that car and what it was like. And I could write a great article about that. But just like the the writing like a historical piece of a car that's owned by rich dudes and taking pictures of it and stuff like it just doesn't interest me anymore. It's just kind of like I don't know. It just doesn't seem like I'm in, like I'm impacting anyone. Like yep. I'm changing anything. Like I'm like I'm causing anyone to do something. Which is why Overcrest has become so addictive. Is you know I'll get DMs that are like, "Hey man, I I really love what you do. I I I hadn't talked to my dad in 15 years." You know, I bought a car and we went on a road trip and we we fixed our relationship. Hmm. And how am I ever going to get that yeah, out of writing yeah. about some old race car that's only important because of the the period of time that it was driven in? I just I do. I don't care. I just I just don't. It just it isn't it doesn't matter. Like I look at I look at my 911 for me is behind me. You see the the Hawaiian Tropic 935 for me, my car is more is a more significant car than that one yeah just for me personally yep. and, and and it's for what it's able to do it if and what it's inspired other people to do and i know that sounds vain and arrogant but for some reason just like the historical race car thing just doesn't doesn't do that much for me no no well it's, it's hard to connect to that isn't it you know most of us most of us don't experience that on a daily basis or even ever and yet the idea of hey do you know what i can just jump in my car i can do it today if i want and drive somewhere we everyone can relate to that and as you say whether you have a civic or an old 911 or something in between you you can have a your version of that experience and i think that's probably why people connect with what you do yeah you can have like there's something alluring about knowing that in a 935 my car's in there somewhere yeah like that dna you know it's kind of like you know you could look at your car maybe if you squint a little bit or like rub Vaseline in your eyes, your car could look similar to that. <laughs> and I love talking to the race car drivers about their experiences. Yeah. But usually their experiences that I love hearing about. It's not about, hey, I race because these cars, when they were raced way back in the day, they were just a fucking car, right? This was a car that was a factory body car that they put a motor in. It didn't mean anything at all beyond being the tool to win the race. It only became an emotional, valuable, pretty beautiful thing later. Yeah. So I really like in hearing about the stories from the guys that used to drive them because they never talk. They never talk about the car. Nah. They always talk about the driving and the people and the tracks and the experiences that they have. They're never just like, yeah, man, I remember driving this car. And if you ask, they'll tell you, you know, how, what was it like to drive a 935? They'll be like, yeah, it was like squeezing a tube of toothpaste as hard as you can. The power just would shoot out of it. It's cool to hear that stuff, but it's they didn't become special until until much, much later because they because of the era that they represented. And even then, it's not necessarily about the car. It's about the period of time in which they existed that the cars represent. That's important. I don't know. It's just kind of this weird thing that. I'm starting to care less and less about, you know, these cars with pedigree and value and heritage and all this other stuff and caring more about just this dude. Like I saw this guy the other day, I was at the grocery store and I pull up and there's this 951 sitting in the parking lot. And I'm like, wow, that thing is beat. I mean, the thing was beat down. They usually have like bumper overriders on them. They had fallen off. One was held on by a coat hanger on the other side. It was super rusty. And I'm kind of like looking through the, 
the the sunroof to see how many miles are on it. It's got like 500,000 miles. I'm like, holy shit. It turns out it only had like 300,000 miles. The guy's like, yeah, only 300,000 miles. <laughs> and I've, like, I went, I took pictures of that car with my phone and I wished I had my camera and I talked to the guy for like 15 minutes and he was super cool. And I like hearing about how he drove the car for 20 years and 300,000 miles. That really got me going. Yeah. Just as much as hearing about like some car that won the mall like six times. And I'm just, even more so, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unreal. Um, so you got your rally coming up. Both James and I, we do. we've 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 done this obviously not to the level that you have, but we know about that experience of, you know, when you're crafting it, designing it, um, wanting to create the best experience for the people who are going to attend. Do you do you feel right. a level of pressure slash responsibility around that or is it look guys this is this is what it's going to be i'm going to be really open and transparent with you about it and just come along it's more it's just as much about the people as the roads as the cars as the driving i guess it's kind of like you can either you can make if you're going to make a cheeseburger for somebody you can make a regular cheeseburger you can cook it up in the microwave and you could give it to them or you can do your the best thing you can, which is get all the right ingredients together and then have a bunch of people eat the cheeseburgers together. And then they're all having a great experience and they all came there because of the great cheeseburger. But that's not necessarily what they remember. If that makes any that's that was a terrible analogy. I should. <laughs> so this goes back Wait. to James's. Th- yeah, J- <laughs> so you do you do want to drive right across. Now. You do want to eat at every Burger King in the country. That's what you're saying. Exactly. No, <laughs> the point is, is that I like what I. I stress out big time. Yeah. Okay. I, I stress out big time because this all matters to me so much. Giving people the opportunity to have an experience because the experience that I have when I go and scout the rally and, and, and the, the adventure that I have and the fresh experiences that I have, I know how much driving and exploring means to me. And I know that it impacts me in such a way. And the way that I think about it is that as we get older, you know, everybody says time goes faster the older that we get. And we continue to, you know, regress into uh, tradition and, and, and routine. And that makes life go by really, really fast because your, your brain doesn't have to process as much information. You know, you do the same thing in the morning. Your, your brain has it very easy. It's like having a high horsepower car and just picking up groceries in it. It doesn't need to work very hard. It doesn't really need to do anything. And your brain is the same way. So then, of course, that moment basically gets deleted and it's gone. And it feels like it never happened. And it goes by really fast. And that's why, as we get older, I think that time starts to speed up. Not only because you're, the percentage of your life remaining is a lot less than the percentage of your life that you've, you've already experienced, but because you're having so many of the same experiences over and over and over and over and over again that everything starts to kind of blend together and blur. And I think going out and having new experiences um, and, and exploring, and I would say it doesn't have to be cars. Whatever exploring means to you, you need to be experiencing new things. So getting people out to experience something new causes their their brain to go, whoa, what the hell is this? I better check this out. And, the, and their brain starts analyzing thing and you kind of get, you can be overloaded. I don't know if you've ever been a place to a place where you stop and you go, holy shit. And you get these goosebumps and you start taking everything in. All of a sudden you start seeing 
things and you start, you stop and you, and you start listening and you start seeing, and all of a sudden all your senses are operating and you can feel the breeze on the hair on your arms and you can see the colors in the trees. And these are things that you never, when you're driving around your neighborhood, you don't look at anything. You don't look at the color of the houses. You don't look at the trees. You don't look at the road. You don't do anything. You're probably in your own little world driving to and fro. And, and then, like I said, that moment just gets deleted when you're out there experiencing something new, it all slows down. So that's, that's how I feel about it for me. So when I put this together, I don't put this together because I want everybody to go drive great roads. Okay. This is a big, this is a big scam to get everybody to go experience something new. Right. And the roads and everything else are just kind of this, this conduit, which we all have this commonality that, uh, that we're going to use this to get people to experience X. And I really, I feel a lot of pressure to, to give other people the, the Petri dish in which they can experience the feelings that I get when I'm out there, whether they do or not, I don't know. Uh, I, I've heard some good things and I just, <laughs> that's just, that's what I want is I want people to have those experiences. And once you, once you start to get it, you can't stop doing it because once you know what that feeling is like, whether you come on another overcrest rally or you find some other form of exploration, once that clicks and you hear that pure piano note, you know, ringing in your ears of exploration, you'll never stop. And if I can get a few people to do that and make their life better, that's that's really what it's all about. That's what the overcrest rally is all about. The cars, the roads, everything. I love all that stuff. That's where I get my exploration kicks and bringing other people to do the same thing and experience stuff. That's that's what it's all about for me. So yes, I stress out big time because if they don't have that and they don't get the feelings and they don't and they, it's it'd be like going on a roller coaster and getting off and be like I didn't even get that feeling in my stomach. You know the one that you get when you go over a thing and you you feel like you're falling a little. I didn't even get that. And if and if people didn't get that on the rally, I would feel I'd feel really bad. So yeah, I stress out a lot and I try really fucking hard. That that is the I think that's the clearest distillation I've ever heard of why we do this and why we organize these things and and yeah it's it's exactly you did it beautiful it's, it was like a ted talk there uh chris thank you <laughs> <laughs> well if you think that was a clear distillation yeah i had yeah. <laughs> seemed pretty verbose to me i was like in my head i'm thinking how do i boil this down and why well, it's on. the passion chris it's the passion well so your um your next rally is coming up in september isn't it the 9th and the 10th i think or something, something yeah like september that. 8th 9th and 10th in idaho yeah okay in idaho a place that i'd never been to before and i told everybody hey we're going to idaho and I had never explored Idaho, but I thought for sure there's got to be some pretty good shit there. So I felt extra stress. So like go out there and scout it. And after I told everybody where it was, yeah, I've I've never been, and uh, that that would be fascinating. But is, is there still it's time an incredible for, place? Is there still time for people to get involved? Is, is the no? The application uh, process is all done. You you can't get in. There's no space. We had to turn turn away about eighty percent of the people that applied. Oh, it was it was wow. absolutely heartbreaking. It was yeah. absolutely heartbreaking to look at because we we do when we do the rally we have a what's your name what's your car where are you from but we also have a why do you want to come yeah why do you want to come on the rally and there were some really great essays that were written but there was a lot of great essays and it just was some of the essays were terrible like sounds like it would be fun. Well, yeah, of course it would be fun. <laughs> Tell me why you want to come. And we'd get somewhere. It was like, you know, these really emotional 
you know, exploration means everything to me. I get it. I'm a big fan of Overcrest. Your ethos, you know, I, I'm with you, you know, and, and, and you get those and you're like, yeah, let's bring that guy. But that you turn away some people that you don't want to, and it's just heartbreaking. So we're probably going to start doing some more events yeah, so that we can be more inclusive because the more people that I can expose to this, the better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love that you got people writing essays. My buddy Rocco and I, when we organize <laughs> our rallies, we've got a cap. We've got 20 people max. And there's always this little cohort of people sort of circling around who want to get in on that. Maybe maybe essays is the way. Um the way forward. Yeah. Make them work for it. Yeah. Even with my closest There's no work count minimum or anything like that. <laughs> oh, no. I'd, I'd put a minimum. Yeah. 500 words minimum. Come oh, on. Yeah. 250 <laughs> words minimum. <laughs> Double spaced. Yeah, 100%. Better user spell check. I want people going at all lengths, you know, like maybe maybe they'll make a video. Someone will do something a little bit different. Maybe pull together a poster. Um, yeah. What can you bring to the rally besides friendship and good times? Good looks. Um, so, Chris, we've... We- <laughs> We've we've taken plenty of time. I just want to touch on one last thing, if I can. Nine nine eleven. What where are we at? What's 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 happening? There was I have no idea. In my little honestly. WhatsApp group, so, there was heartbreak when you when you when that video dropped of you on that street somewhere in LA, like pushing it up the mm-hmm. hill, and that dude comes and helps you. It's <laughs> like, and how excited you were at the start of that video versus how. Despondent yeah. you are by halfway through. Even now, I'm I feel emotional about it. You know, it's it's weird to be emotional about. Well, maybe it isn't about an inanimate object, Mm-mm. but uh, yeah, it's you know, an oil line failed, just fell off. I don't know how that happened. I drove it three thousand miles with with no trouble, and then you know, you get back in it when I get out there, and boom, done. So it's at a shop right now, and. He's busy. Everybody's busy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everybody's slammed. All the machine shops are slammed, you know? So it's just kind of, uh, you know, I was told maybe, maybe August they, they'd get to it. So I'm hoping maybe I could drive it home this fall, fly out there with my daughter. And, and, uh, I owe her a road trip. I took my other, other daughter out in the 73 Pinto Squire wagon, <laughs> you know, did, uh, did a road trip in that thing, which was not regrettable, but slow. <laughs> and uh, I owe my other daughter a road trip, so we're going to take her in the 911 and drive it back. Amazing, you know. Unless it's like not done till December, because that's one thing I don't do is drive that car in the salt. It's just not good. Yeah, it's yeah. not a good look driving that thing in the salt. So then, if that's the case, we might have to wait. But I'm hoping fall. We'll see. I don't know. It depends on what it needs when we crack it open. You know, it's hopefully it just needs a crank, which sounds super expensive, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I really, we'll I really hope so, mate. I hope it's uh, not as catastrophic as perhaps it seemed, and that you you get to live out that goal of, of flying out there with your daughter and road tripping it back. It'd be a, a good way to bring it back to life, I imagine. It would, and it would be a good good way to get in touch with the car again. Because right now, I can truly say that I don't care. I don't care. It's been gone so long. It's been gone since January. I've got this other shit that I'm doing. Yeah, I don't care. I'm sad. It's sad, but like. You know, it's absence does not make the heart grow fonder. You know, I'm sure getting back in the car again and seeing it again, flying out there and getting it and getting in and touching it and feeling it and hearing it and smelling it will rekindle all of the passion that I have. I have no question about that. But in terms of right now, I'm just like, whatever. So what you're saying is now is the best time to make an offer. And see if I can get it I've had a lot of offers on that car. I've said no every single time. I've said no. Why would you want it? Offer me like a 
they they offered me a bunch of money for it. I'm like, dude, it doesn't. The engines not. Like, I don't care. I don't care. Love the color. Definitely want it. I'm like, no, dude, no, no. You know, I only paid. You know, I think. I think I paid eighteen thousand or twenty thousand oh, for the don't, car. Don't tell me. So I'll me. never be upside down. I don't need to sell it. Who cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter. The only thing that sucks is how expensive parts have gotten. Yeah. Which for a guy like me, who's just a regular dude, you know, I don't own some multi conglomerate billion dollar company. It's becoming very very difficult to, you know, continue to buy parts for the car because everything's gotten expensive. But yeah. yeah, it is what it is. Indeed. Well, Chris, we massively, massively appreciate you taking the time, mate. As as I said, we're, we're big, big fans, and and it's been amazing sitting here listening to you. It's it's just been like listening to your podcast, but in my ears, and I'm actually having a conversation <laughs> with you. So, genuinely thrilled that we could have you on the show, mate, and and really appreciate it was my you pleasure. taking the time. Um, yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Best of luck on the rally. Where can people check you out on socials, etc.? If they don't already know, it's just uh, at Chris Cluel. Just at my name is is where you find me, and then at Overcrest Productions for the podcast and the rally and everything like that. Ripper, love it. Well, sir, Fantastic. thank you, thank you very much again, and uh, yeah, best of luck with uh, all the projects you guys have got um, on the horizon. Thank you. Take care, man. Good anyway, thanks. What a guy! I, that was, uh, it was, it was like a TED talk. It was like, it was so bizarre because in my headphones, it was exactly like listening to the podcast. Only I was having a conversation with him. That was, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. But what a, it, um, I don't know if you felt this, but particularly his response around, you know, why we organise these rallies and the like. It was just you could hear yeah. the passion he's got for it and this 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 desire to just share experiences with people. That was, that was super inspiring. I, yeah. What a, you know, they say never meet your heroes. He's, he's definitely someone I look up to and admire and wow. What a, what a, what a great interview that was. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hope everybody did. I'm, fact, I'm sure they did. Um, I, I, I feel a little um, embarrassed to say that as he was talking through that, in terms of discovery and new experiences and sort of, you know, all the feelings that go with it. Um, I honestly, I started to tear up a little bit because I find myself, you know, in, in my forties here, not wanting to go to dinner with friends and not wanting to go out to the mall. And, you know, I'm just going to stay in my garage and do some wrenching. And then every now and again, I'll go for a drive. Um, I've been driven by adventure a lot of my life and I hope I'm not losing it because you know, I remember what it was like to first drop down in New York City, and and I had sensory overload. I mean, that place freaked me out when I first dropped down in downtown Manhattan, and um, I was driven by adventure to go to India. You know, in between two um, school years at, at university, um, orienteering with army cadets, and you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, mountains, roads, lakes, rivers, oceans. You know. I, I, for the longest time that inspired me and and i'm now sat here in my safe little suburban bubble doing the odd you know 20 mile rally quote unquote with some of my local Porsche mates and and uh that's just not on the same level that he was talking about and thinking back to the rocky mountain road trip that i did earlier this year that that gives me a taste of that life again but I get it. It's like I, I want to start planning another rally right now. No, a hundred percent. That I want to get out. I want to go and live in the car for the next six weeks and just drive. Yeah, yeah. 
And if if that's if that's uh, Chris's ethos, if that's what he wants to encourage people to experience more, then like I say, that conversation for me exactly the same. I, you know, I hate that. So we typically do two Alpine Range rallies every year. This year we're only doing the one because we're doing a Tassie trip, which my good pal PJ and and Darren are, are organising, which is amazing. But I miss organising a rally. I actually miss the yeah. the the research. I miss finding new roads. You know. On, on Google Maps and then cross-referencing them with YouTube from motorbike videos to see if they actually link up to something yeah. and all of that stuff. And, yeah. you know, last night I, ju- I just started watching you and McGregor's uh, Long Way Up and, and you know, they're on these electric motorbikes and the experience they're having. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, when I, when I think about the rallies we have, you know, every one of my friends that comes on those rallies always says it that it's not – you know, we, we really try and design them so it is all twisty roads as much as possible. But when you think about it, it's it's not the act of driving the twisty road. It's when you get to the end of it and you all get out of your cars and you're laughing about, oh, I couldn't keep up with you there, but yeah. then you got away yeah. from me. And, and talking about those little things and you're laughing about it, having a great time. That's what builds the memories. That's, that's what makes the adventure. So, yeah, like you, I, I'm just... It, it's it's made me just desperate to get out and explore and be with friends and in and take the car as Chris would say. Exactly. I mean, how quickly can I ditch you and now go and get in the car and go for a drive? That's what I'm thinking. Well, why don't you ditch me right now, <laughs> guys? Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> uh, please subscribe to Kerbin Canyon um, on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you hear your podcast. And if you could leave a review, that would be amazing. Check us out on Instagram and follow us there. And uh, we'll see you. When will we see you, James? Next week. Same time next week. Take care, Ripper. See you, gang.